0: Hi, we're here from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes.
1: I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn tips for using less plastic to help keep our planet clean from special guest Will McCallum. Then you'll learn about whether sheeps can be angry. Let's satisfy some curiosity. You can help clean up the world's oceans by using less disposable plastic. And you might be surprised to learn some of the ways you can do that. Yesterday, you learned why it's so important to cut down on plastic consumption in the first place. And today, Will McCallum is back with tips on how you can have a sustainable September and help the environment even more. He's the head of oceans at Greenpeace UK and author of the new book, How to Give Up Plastic, a guide to changing the world one plastic bottle at a time. In the book, he kind of takes you through your house room by room. And sure, everyone knows there's plastic in your kitchen and in your bathroom. But what can you do to help when it comes to your bedroom?
2: Well, bedroom. The main reason I include that in the book is really the clothes. So many of our clothes are made using synthetic materials. And when you're going out shopping for clothes, think: Do I really need? Do I really need that item of clothing, or could I just fix what I've already got? Or if you are buying clothing, look for clothes made with more natural materials, or bed linen made with more natural materials, because every time you wash it, you're contributing to that to that problem.
3: Sure, natural materials like wool, cotton, and silk. What are the some and unnatural ones? Then I guess like, like polyester.
2: Polyester, nylon, they're, they're the most commonly found uh, artificial materials.
3: And then we'll, I guess, move into the bathroom. So the bathroom, yeah, if I buy a shampoo bottle, it's probably going to be plastic. How do I even avoid that?
2: Well, this is the, this is the solution. It always makes me laugh, I even have to explain this one. But a bar of soap. I mean, they've been, we've been using bars of soap, and you know, our own for generations now and and yet somehow people have forgotten that that's maybe the most simple way to cutting out a lot of the plastic in the bathroom but there are other ways as well so there's so many companies now people like lush who are doing moisturizer makeup in tins so you you use it then you can take your tin back to the store when you next go go there to buy stuff you can cut out your cotton earbuds lots of doctors say you shouldn't even be using them anyway but those cotton earbuds they use plastic in the stick so get some that use bamboo instead, which are becoming more commonplace. Or um, cleansing wipes. A lot of people don't realize they're made of plastic. They're made of synthetic materials. The, the river Thames, the most famous river in the UK, runs through London. The entire bed of the river has changed shape because of the amount of these wipes that are, that are ending up there. It's disgusting. And yet, you know, they are a relatively new product. We could just use a cloth flannel.
3: Yeah, we can relate here in Chicago. The Chicago River is not exactly a um a, a picture of cleanliness. <laughs> it, it's funny what you said about the soap. It's like, you know, you said I shouldn't even have to explain this to people. Are there any particular tips that you've given people that really like blow their mind that they're like, oh, I never would have thought of that?
2: You know what? No, because so many of the tips are are so easy. Like, they're they're such simple things. I mean, they blow their mind that they're so simple, in a way. (laughs) Like, in the UK, we use 11 billion items of single-use plastic every single year just on lunch on the go. So just sandwich wrappers and plastic bottles. So by making your lunch on a Sunday putting it in a lunchbox, taking it in every day, you are no longer a part of that problem. It sounds so simple. And yet that could be the single biggest thing you did all year to reduce your plastic footprint is just making your own lunch. Wow.
3: And then I know we have a lot of parents listening to this in the nursery. I mean, babies, babies just destroy everything, right? They're creatures that create lots of messes. Talk to me a little bit about what parents can do uh, when they've got newborns, maybe to reduce their footprint
2: so with parents i always start by saying be kind to yourself you know you've got a baby you've probably got no time no money and no sleep so <laughs> so don't worry about it if you can't do everything but also don't let the fact that you can't do it a hundred percent get in the way of you doing it fifty percent of the time so yeah reusable diapers you know we've grown out of them in some way very few people use them but imagine if you only use them when you're at home so you let yourself off when you're out and out and about with the baby but when you're at home, use reusables. That's going to cut diaper use by, you know, more than 50% maybe. And that's worth doing. That makes it worth doing. So so for, for the nursery, I'd say, you know, look at look at the areas where you can. Secondhand toys or secondhand clothes. Like why are you buying new for, for, for a baby that's going to grow out of stuff so quickly? And hopefully that, again, it saves you money as well. Another one with nursery, and I say this one because it it taps into, you know, something I want to encourage everyone to do, it's team up, team up with other young parents, make plans together, because it's so much easier to give up plastic if you're doing it with a group of people. And you get together and you make it into the new normal. You pick up new habits together. So plastic-free birthday parties, plastic-free birthday decorations, these are all things we could totally do.
1: So to recap, switch to using a bar of soap. Try to buy cosmetics in tins and non plastic containers. And pack your lunch whenever you can. And if you're a parent, use reusable diapers, even if it's just when you're at home. Get secondhand clothes and toys. And above all else, remember that good is better than perfect. For even more tips, you can pick up Will McCallum's book, How to Give Up Plastic A Guide to Changing the World, One Plastic Bottle at a Time. You can find a link to that and more in today's show notes.
0: Can shapes be angry? think about it. Valentine hearts are rounded, but caution signs have hard edges. And if you're looking at different types of lettering, you would probably figure that the soft and fluffy looking letters might show up in a children's nursery, while an angled spiky design is more likely to show up on a heavy metal album cover. Well, new science suggests the human brain automatically applies emotion to inanimate objects. So yes, some shapes can be angry. And that has implications for how we perceive everything around us. This makes sense considering that, generally speaking, humans are really good at detecting emotion. And scientists have known for more than a century that humans associate certain sounds with certain shapes. So for a study published in July 2019, researchers from Harvard University explored that ability to sense emotion to see how it could apply to shapes and sounds. The team's hunch was that humans of all cultures encode and decode these automatic connections between shapes, sounds, and emotions with a property called the spectral centroid. The spectral centroid is an equation, and the basic idea is that you can break an image or sound into a spectrum of different frequencies. For example, a curvy shape has lower frequencies than a spiky one. Scientists take the average of each shape's frequency spectrum to get its spectral centroid. The team's hypothesis was that anger and excitement involve high arousal, and you could associate those with spiky shapes and a high spectral centroid. The opposite would be true for sad, peaceful emotions. And they were right. Some of their experiments involved asking participants to draw their emotions. If I asked you to draw shapes for when you were angry or when you were happy, what would you do? Well, if you're like the participants in this study, you would draw sharp edges for anger and rounded ones for sadness. And when scientists calculated the spectral centroids of each shape, they could guess what the emotional label would be with almost 80% accuracy. The researchers say they hope this study can lead to building a deeper understanding of how communication can transcend geographic, cultural, and genetic barriers. So maybe the next time you feel like you can't understand how someone is feeling, you should ask them to draw it for you. Science says you'll understand immediately.
1: And now let's recap what we learned today.
0: Today we learned that you can cut back on plastic use by switching to cosmetics and toiletries in tins and non-plastic containers, packing more lunches, and remembering that you don't have to have perfect habits all the time to make a real difference.
1: And that shapes can be angry, even across cultures. And you can measure that using a thing called the spectral centroid.
0: And you know what word has a lot of letters with a low spectral centroid? What? Curiosity. I'm looking
1: at it on my screen. I mean, it has about the same mix as Ashley does.
0: Ish. The letter O and the letter S. Yeah. I don't know. Those are those are bangers. I don't,
1: <laughs> those are bangers. I don't
0: know what that means. <laughs> Join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff.
1: And I'm Ashley Hamer. Stay curious.